Hello, I'm Ellen Bintz. Welcome to Impact, a podcast about how we can each bring about real change in the world and getting practical in making that happen. And hello, I'm Clive Johnson. A special welcome if you're listening for the first time and a big thank you to our new subscribers. Each week, we look at one aspect of how we can connect our hearts to offer healing for others with our collective intention, prayers, and meditation, and talk about the critical happenings in our world that need our attention right now, some of which may not be making the headlines where you are. So let's take a look at what we've picked up from the news this week and see where we might hone in with our prayers and intentions. As we record, it's February 28th, 2024. One day before the leap day. Yes. <laughs> yes, my goodness, that uh, doesn't happen very much every four years, of course. Right. So, happy it's birthday. Sadie Hawkins Day, right? Happy birthday, especially if it's if you were born on the 29th of February. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Always seemed pretty mean to me when I was young. You have to wait four years for your birthday, but I, I imagine most people have got, uh, got around that by having it a day early or day late. Right. <laughs> So stories in the news that caught our attention this week. And as we mentioned last time, we're doing things a little bit differently from this time. So we're splitting out our interview, our focus on a particular theme from our news coverage. So do look out for our next uh, interview, which will be coming up very, very soon. But in the news this week, a survey of people who identify as transgender in the US conducted by the National Center for Transgender Equality has published its initial findings earlier this month. The survey is an essential source of data on the experiences of transgender people for advocates, educators, researchers, policymakers, and the general public. Its first report was released in 2016. The latest survey was designed to offer updated and expanded perspectives on the experiences of transgender people, including in areas such as education, employment, family life, healthcare, housing, life satisfaction, and public accommodations. There were more than 92,000 respondents from all states and dependencies, as well as uh, US military bases. Survey between October and December 2022. One disturbing finding that, uh, that struck me was that more than one in 10, 11% of adult respondents who grew up in the same household with family guardians or foster parents said that a family member had been violent towards them because they were transgender, and 8% were kicked out of the house because of that. Parental attitudes towards those respondents aged 16 to 17 sadly do not seem to suggest a trend towards wider acceptance of trans people by younger parents. Um, we'll include a link to the report, which you can download and read or read online in the show notes. It's, it's a very interesting preliminary finding, so there's not much in the way of insight behind it. But as I say, uh, probably when the full report is comes out, and there'll presumably a lot of anecdotes and uh, explanation, there should be more insight into what's happening among what we would expect would be younger parents. And my hope and expectation would have been that they would be getting a little bit more wise to, you know, accepting Yes. Normalizing transgender. Yes, that was shock shocking to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
a little bit surprising. Hopefully things will start to ease up. And so this is a great baseline study for us to see how things change. It is. It is. What I understand. I mean, I got the impression that it wasn't all bad among younger. There were relatively fewer you know, evictions from the house, for example, or, or violence, but certainly in terms of tolerance, some of the questions looking at general tolerance and attitudes and how they felt accepted within their families were were not showing a very positive trend. I wonder if the study will reflect where these people live too and the um, yes. differences in the regions of the U.S. because laws are differing, unfortunately, um, things are happening that way. So that that might be an interesting fact to glean from the report. It, it could well be. It could well be. I, I imagine it may be some time before the, the full findings mm-hmm. are, are released, but uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, yes. It's certainly, I, I personally, I mean, I myself kind of identify on the trans spectrum somewhere near the middle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, and... I personally believe it's one of the biggest areas of prejudice that still exists in the world. I mean, obviously, there's awful prejudice against religious minorities and ethnic minorities, other sexual minorities, if you like. Mm-hmm. But this is um, this seems to be an area where we've taken some steps forward, or seem to be taking steps forward, uh, maybe about ten years ago, and, and sadly, seem to have taken some steps backward, which I don't quite understand. I agree. And we also seem to hear about a lot of violence yes. attached to it, unfortunately. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's hard to understand. Well, you can understand. I think you can understand parents. And it might be disappointment if they wanted a daughter or son to grow up and they, they believe that, you know, have a, in their view, in, in quotes, normal family life kind of thing, bear grandchildren, whatever, which of course they can can do and will do, I'm mm-hmm. sure, in many, many mm-hmm. cases. But a lot of people who are locked into a particular, let's say, traditional view might not immediately appreciate that, or they might just be simply shocked in the reaction. Um, there was a musical, well, there is a musical actually, it's still going on in the Lon- London's West End, I think, called, I haven't seen it, There's Something About Jamie, I think it's called. And Jamie, it, the musical of all things, was based on a documentary, real-life documentary of a, a young lad who was trans and um, was going through his sort of late teen period and struggling with this. And partly was his reaction, the varying reaction of his father and his mother. But I actually did, I think I saw the documentary a while back and his father came round, but initially he was reactionary. He didn't, he wasn't violent, he was just angry and didn't want to talk to him for a while and all this kind of thing. and uh, But he did come round. So I think with our intentions, this is one thing that comes to me, that appreciating that some parents, let's say the unenlightened, may be shocked. They may not know how to cope. And they may not have easy access to resources and support or know other people in their area, their friends or whatever they can talk to about this. Mm-hmm. Really willing for them to, to get the support they need, but also to kind of hold off that what you might call reptilian reaction. That was kind of yes. my, my sense of a helpful intention to kind of buy time where they could find help and they could come to terms and uh, hopefully ultimately be very accepting. I've often wondered if parents who react badly feel as though in some way it's their fault that they've done something wrong 
And I think as we evolve and we realize no one has done anything wrong, maybe that will ease up a little bit for the parents. Exactly. I mean, this could be another factor, couldn't it? Could be another thing that's coming into it. Um, yeah, self-blame. What mm -hmm. have I done? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, all of these things. Or what are my friends and my mm -hmm. my social circles going to, to make of this? And, and yeah, there's all sorts of things that can come into this. Um, and I, I have a friend who has a trans daughter, and she has been an incredible resource to my friends and I, where she is open to any question that we need to ask that we don't understand. There's so much to understand. Mm. And, um, to know that I can ask her anything and there is no shame and she um, offers an explanation has been such a resource for us. So if a parent can even see how they can help other people, not necessarily people who are directly affected by the trans population, but indirectly. Exactly. Really it's widen understanding. A broader, broader education, isn't it? All around. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's that's really good to hear. Let's hope for more people like that. Yes. She's she's amazing. Mm. Yeah. So a little bit happier news from the US. Teenage smoking rates have dropped dramatically in the last 30 years, according to a new research conducted by Florida Atlantic University. Only 0.6 of teens saying they smoke daily. That's compared to 9.8% in 1991. Yay! Quite a generational shift, that one, isn't it? Incredible. Yes. Yeah. Fewer teens say they are interested in trying smoking. And in 1991, 70% of teens reported having ever smoked compared with less than 18% in 2021. Mm, incredible. So that, that so, also is interesting, is that few wanting to try even. Yes, this is yeah. such good news. This is because yeah. <laughs> this trend will follow as they get older. They exactly. have children who they're not modeling this behavior to. Um, so this this is really hopeful. It is, yeah. And really showing that, I guess, all of the health messages around smoking and so on and peer pressure and smoking bans in public buildings and so on mm -hmm. really have had a big effect. I imagine they must have had quite yes. a bigger, <laughs> bigger, bigger It's all working, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, story caught my eye. Uh, few days ago, uh, there has been a huge, terrifying fire in a tower block, residential tower block in Valencia in Spain. Over 20 firefighting units and uh, various ambulances, many ambulances were deployed to fight the blaze last Thursday. It's known that the fire has killed 10 people as of this weekend, which was the last update I was able to get on this, uh, with more injured, including, tragically, six firefighters. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez pledged all the help that is necessary to the city. And I know there was a big uh, mass that took place at the uh, cathedral there earlier this week. The 14-story building housed more than 130 apartments. Spain's TVE television network said the building was reduced to a skeleton in no time. I read one report, actually, that from an eyewitness that said it went up like burning cork. 
22 firefighting units. I've already said that reading my notes here. I got distracted by a spelling mistake of mine. 14-story building. That's supposed to be with an E before the Y, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> listeners don't need to know that. <laughs> no. That just got, got me uh, distracted there. In a horror reminiscent of an inferno, uh, very well known here in the UK, that killed 72 people in London. This was at the Grenfell Tower seven years ago. It's believed that the fire spread so quickly because the building was covered with highly flammable polyurethane cladding. Around 100 survivors are being temporarily housed in hotels. And if it's anything like the uh, the awful Grenfell Tower uh, story, that um, actually the aftermath, what happens afterwards, where people go, where they're housed, the loss of community, let down by all sorts of services, and waiting for answers, really, ultimately, about mm-hmm. what went wrong. Uh, let's hope that all happened much, much more quickly. I was visiting London when my daughter was going to school there um, outside of London, and I saw the mm. Grenfell Tower. Oh, t- wow. tower. Mm. That was mm. very sad. And you're yes. right. I remember hearing some stories about the fallout and what that meant to people. And you, you don't think about the aftermath and no. you know what the next steps are and where these people go and it seems that some lessons have been learned. I mean, one of the big problems there was the a lot of these buildings had gone up in in the UK, in particularly in the bigger cities and in Europe, across Europe, quite quickly during the 1970s, particularly in the late 1960s. And they were built, some of them were local authorities, they were built on a budget, I think. And they didn't conform to uh, modern day safety regulations. So there was this cladding um, <laughs> that is just highly flammable. Highly <laughs> flammable. And I think in Grenfell, the, the the number of escape rooms, for example, was very very limited. Mm. And the fire service, I believe, made mistakes in basically how quickly people were evacuated. The, 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 the initial advice was stay where you are. Oh. And um, so there's been a very long running inquiry. Sadly, with all these inquiries, a lot of finger pointing, passing responsibility to was it the construction company or the council or the fire service or you know who takes the blame. And of course, as always, the victims are are waiting. Yes, and uh, that's that's tragic. So let's really hope in Spain that this moves very quickly and that lessons are quickly learned, and particularly the people who are injured or homeless now uh, are quickly found new homes yes. and helped keep them in our hearts mm, absolutely now here's a story we could say this i'm um, sadly about virtually anywhere and it's been a very big news story in the uk this week actually uh with uh, a former member of the conservative party actually being thrown out of the party for alleged anti-islamists which is slightly different to anti-muslim as i understand it hate speech or alleged uh, hate speech as i say but here in india country where there are a number of uh Minority Muslims living in the north of the country, although most are in Pakistan and Bangladesh, a rising trend in hate speech since the outbreak of war between Israel and Hamas. In a report released on Monday, the Washington-based research group India Hate Lab said that anti-Muslim hate speech in India rose by 62% in the second half of last year compared to the first six months of the year, remarking that the 
Israel-Gaza war played a key role in the last three months. Group documented uh, over 600 hate speech incidents targeting Muslims in 2023. Since the start of the war, there were 41 incidents against Indian Muslims that mentioned the war uh, specifically, according to the report. Rights groups say that a 2019 citizenship law that challenges the constitutionally protected right to freedom of belief is discriminatory and also cite the 2019 revoking of Muslim-majority Kashmir's special status as further evidence of discrimination. India's ruling BJP party denies prejudice, saying that its policies aim to benefit all Indians. Any incident of hate speech, of course, is bad. And uh, it sort of brought home, well, yes, here's a report of hundreds of cases. When I compare it with what I know in the UK given the size and population and history of India, in a sense, it seems quite small scale. Mm-hmm. That's not to diminish the importance for us to kind of hold this as, a, as an issue, because, of course, it can become more inflamed, and some of these are very nasty incidents. But, yeah, you could be saying, why pick on India? <laughs> uh, well, I was just, thinking the same thing about yeah. the states. You know, we have the, we have the issues, too, um, and as we've talked about in many episodes about the Israel-Gaza-Palestinian war, it is going to bleed yes. around the world. Yes. And this, is, this is, shows us how. Very polarized. And when mm-hmm. you have these real, almost irrecon- irreconcilable um, positions that some people take, um, sadly, as you say, it's, it's growing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, over... To the U.S., um, President Joe Biden said during a visit to New York on Monday that he hopes to have a ceasefire in Israel's war with Hamas by next week as negotiations to end hostilities and secure the release of captives continue. His comments follow reports by Israeli media that an Israeli military delegation had flown to Qatar for intensive talks mediated by Egypt, Qatar, and the U.S., These are seeking to secure a six-week pause in fighting between Israel and Hamas to allow aid into Gaza, where it's much needed. The United Nations says some 2.3 million people are on the brink of starvation. The proposed pause would allow for the release of dozens of captives held by Hamas in return for the release of hundreds of Palestinian prisoners held by Israel. So um, as you say, Clive, we often don't know what the backstory is, what's no. really going on. And I kind of have a sense with this story that that's true. Yes. There's much more happening than we're being told. Who knows? It, exactly. Exactly. It did seem that uh, President Biden was up, I wouldn't say upbeat, but more mm-hmm. optimistic than he had been for some time on this. So again, that suggests that something perhaps mm-hmm. more significant is on yes. the table or is, is moving in the background. Yes. Uh, let's really hold this because it's so yes. critical, yes. even if it is just for a uh, a ceasefire or a matter of weeks. I mean, hopefully it will be permanent, but if you know, even if it just allows that aid in and, and some restoration of proper help um, yes. for those Food. millions. Food and water. Oh. Absolutely. Back in India... Uh, in an assumed accident, a farm tractor pulling a wagon 
carrying Hindu devotees to take a ritual bath in the Ganges River overturned and fell into a pond in northern India on Saturday, killing at least 23 people, including eight children, according to officials. The accident occurred uh, in the Kasganj uh, district of Uttar Pradesh state. At least nine people among the 17 survivors who were injured were being treated or are being treated in hospital, some of them still in a serious condition. That's that's too bad, I'm, yeah. I'm, especially the children who... It, it's... Are... Yeah, exactly. I mean, this, as I understand it... Um, this form of transport is actually illegal, but in poor countries, if you've ever been to particularly rural areas where people, you know, really make do, it, it's just amazing how much gets transported on the back of a motorbike or uh, a small van or whatever. Yeah, so kind of sadly, often out of need, I guess, to to, to get from A to B, you know, pe- people are being transported in essentially an unsafe way. Tragic. Well, a little bit of a good news story. Um, In Afghanistan, Herbert Fritz, an 84-year-old Austrian man who traveled to Afghanistan last year and was arrested there, has been released by the country's Taliban rulers. The Austrian government said on Sunday... A spokeswoman for Austria's foreign ministry told the Associated Press that Fritz had been held in a prison in Kabul. Austrian Chancellor Karl Niemer thanked the Emir of Qatar, Sheikh Taman bin Hamad Al Thani, hope I've said that right, and his team for their strong support in releasing one of our citizens from prison in Afghanistan. Qatar played a key role in mediating Mr. Fritz's release. They're playing a very big uh, diplomatic role in them, Qatar, aren't they? Obviously very involved with the Israel-Hamas negotiations yes. as well, really stepping up and to negotiate with Afghanistan, with the Taliban and the West is quite something. Again, we don't know the full story there. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a very interesting story. I want to know why Mr. Fritz traveled to Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the, why he was arrested? I know, I know. I couldn't find it. I think I think uh, I, th- I think he was almost on holiday. But how wow. he got in the country, you know, you would have thought there was some strict controls right. around that and so on. Right. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's a bit of a mystery what was mm-hmm. going on there. But um, thankfully, he's been released, and uh, you know, from a a group that is is often nearly always maligned, uh, probably rightly. Uh, in many ways, by 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 the West, so quite quite significant. Qatar's role here, I think. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Qatar. Yeah, thank you, Qatar. A big conference is going on as we record this week. Five days this week, starting on Monday, the sixth session of the United Nations Environment Assembly, which is taking place in Nairobi, Kenya, and particularly is focused on how multilateralism can help solve climate change, biodiversity, loss, and pollution. Well, probably rather than solve, let's hope you can move in that direction, but at least take some very bold steps in that area. Inga Anderson, Executive De- uh, Director of the UN uh, Environment Assembly, said that irrespective of where we live, if you are polluted in Asia, then I'm polluted next door. If we have a loss of biodiversity, it's a global loss to humanity. World leaders are more than 5,000 representatives from government, civil society, and the private sector, 
uh, were expected to attend the conference, with organisers hoping that commitments would be made to take preventive action to the environmental crises and enhance cooperation between nations whose vulnerability to the effects of climate change, biodiversity loss and pollution may vary. I, I love Miss Anderson's quote, irrespective of, yeah. irrespective of where we live. If yes. you are polluted in Asia, then I'm polluted next door. Yes. Thank you for that recognition that, you know, we're all in this together. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes. And these conferences seem, there seem to be positive things that come out of them. Yes, yes. I hope that they're implemented and yes. um, they do provide positive change. So a follow-up to an earlier story we reported, um, this is hopeful. Benin has offered 2,000 troops to support a planned Kenyan-led international force to support Haitian national police in its fight against armed gangs. We talked um, a few episodes mm. ago about uh, it's, it's so bad in mm. Haiti. And because there are so few police compared to the population, the United Nations authorized the mission in October after Haiti's unelected government requested it. The conflict in Haiti is estimated to have led to 5,000 people being killed last year, while more than 300,000 have had to flee their homes. Mm. Mm. And as I talked about, um, I have a friend who has a friend who, um, friends who work in the orphanages there and, and know that they were risking their lives leaving their yeah. homes. Yeah. Yeah. Go and help the children. So I remember you, you you're talking about how limited the police yes. ability was to to yes. deal with this. Yeah. So good. There's some international recognition. Yes. The United Nations has got by. I think it took the United Nations a while to do this, but they've done it. Uh, they've agreed and uh, recognised the need to offer help. Mm. Yes. And another topic that we mentioned previously, this is a report from Reuters on Monday that Peru has become the latest South American nation to declare a health emergency across most of the country in response to a spike in dengue fever cases, uh, which has been aided by a heat wave and heavy rains. 32 deaths resulting from dengue fever and 31,000 300 cases of the disease were reported in the first eight weeks of this year. So as we said before, this is a major, major health crisis yes. that is kind of not really on the radar of many, many not people at all. in South America. Yeah. And the statistic that I remember from our previous story is that half of the world's population is at risk. Yes. Half. Half. And we exactly. don't hear about it. Exactly. Including in the U.S. as well, especially coming coming mm -hmm. to the southern states, especially. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if we start hearing more about it. Yeah. Now, I mean, thirty-one thousand three hundred cases is a lot. Yes, it seems to me. Yes, definitely. Since the beginning of the year. Now over to Australia, wildfires have torn through parts of Victoria. Uh, it's said to be out of control and residents in several communities have been forced to evacuate their homes with emergency warnings being issued in the town of Ballarat, close to where the fire is raging. Extremely hot weather conditions have been moving across the state. So let's hope that they can get that under control. And as we're in the Northern Hemisphere in the winter, they're in the Southern Hemisphere and they're experiencing their hot summer. 
that I often forget, even though I have many friends in Australia and I know listeners, we have listeners there. So we're thinking of you in Australia. And uh, wildfires are continuing in the US. We we may well be covering this next time, uh, but I know today as we record stories coming out of the panhandle in Texas and Mm -hmm. that area in southern Oklahoma, I imagine, uh, some serious out-of-control fires there threatening rural communities. Uh, So a continuing threat to life. Mm So, some general reflections on these stories. Let's offer gratitude for the release, first of all, of the Austrian man held in Afghanistan and the important global mediation role played by Qatar. And let us also give thanks that smoking among teenagers, this is a wonderful story, isn't it? Smoking among teenagers in the US is heavily in decline. As we considered two cases of continuing prejudice, let us will that all the family, guardians, and foster parents of transgender people will be moved to hold off from radical action such as inflicting violence or evicting their child from their home in the event that they are shocked and disturbed when their child comes out as trans. And in defiance of anti-Muslim hate speech, will that all Indians, and indeed we can apply that to anyone, Mm -hmm. will be moved to recognise the richness of their diverse population And remember the call of all religions to be tolerant and non-hateful to others. Let us hold the loved ones of victims of the blaze at the apartment block in Valencia and the tractor crash in India, willing for them to be comforted and strengthened. And let us will that those attending the UN Environment Assembly Conference in Nairobi will be open to new ways of cooperating internationally to offset the effects of climate change, biodiversity loss, and pollution. May it be so. Indeed. And finally, a good news story to end with. As many states in the U.S. struggle with the housing crisis, some cities are reviewing their zoning regulations to allow new building, including allowing multifamily homes in more neighborhoods, increasing plot density, and simplifying building planning processes. Pew Charitable Trust cites Minnesota as a model city whose streamlining of zoning regulation has created what they call a blueprint for housing affordability, adding 12% to its housing stock between 2017 and 22. In an interview for NPR, Pew Director of Housing Policy Initiatives Alex Horowitz said that the zoning reforms made apartments feasible. They made them less expensive to build. And they were saying yes when builders submitted applications to build apartment buildings. So they got a lot of new housing in a short period of time. The supply increase has also helped keep rents down, with rents in Minneapolis rising just 1% during this period, while they increased 14% across the rest of Minnesota. That's staggering, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) It is incredible. And it's such it's, a crisis everywhere, isn't it? Housing. Yes. And it yeah. seems so logical yes. and, you know, um, intuitive. Yes. And I imagine the regulations are still pretty strong. So, you know, the sort of thing we were mentioning earlier about building towers with flammable materials is not yes. really a part of this. But it's probably more in the area of things like uh, commercial buildings, which in city centers, mm-hmm. uh, as I understand it, certainly post-pandemic, 
relatively fewer people are commuting into mm-hmm. into the city and you know there's there's more space available empty buildings yes how can they can be converted to residential use and making the whole process easier uh, rather than going through endless planning permission yes so good on minnesota yes yeah way to go minnesota yeah so our suggestive focus a uh, main intention to hold uh, this week as the humanitarian crisis in Gaza endangers the lives of millions, let us redouble our focus on the peace talks in Qatar aimed at brokering a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. We will that all attending the peace talks in Qatar will be moved by the humanitarian crisis threatening millions of people in Gaza. I am going to cut that intention out and put it on my computer this week so that I can look at it often. Ah, fantastic. This really does seem to be an an opportunity in these next few days for some Mm -hmm. real breakthrough. Yeah. Yes, maybe so. Maybe Mm -hmm. so. Let's really redouble our efforts, as we, we say there. Yes. And as always, that intention will be included with our show notes. That about wraps it up for this episode. Remember, you can connect with us in the Facebook group and for live intention holding in Clive's daily insight timer offerings and with me in the Labyrinth Activist Network's Zoom calls. Details of how to hook up with these are in our show notes. Look out too for our next special topic episode, which we'll be releasing in the next few days. Thank you for listening and for sharing with us and holding intentions. We look forward to connecting again next time. And in the meantime, thank you, go well, stay safe. And remember, we're more powerful together. Impact is presented by Ellen Bintz and Clive Johnson and produced by Impact Productions. Our theme music is by Chris Collins and our logo artwork is by Auto Classic. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible or your favourite podcast provider. We're a non-commercial podcast dedicated to people of any faith tradition or none who yearn for healing in our troubled world. Please pass on the word so others may join us in making an impact. Thank you for listening.